Well, good morning. Welcome to our time of gathered worship as Fellowship Church. Also, happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. I hope, yeah, woo woo. I hope you guys get some uh, rest and, yeah, rest and relaxation today. You totally deserve it. It's a day of celebration for many, and we give thanks for some of our most important relationships, for our moms and for the mother figures in our lives. We also recognize that today, for some, is a complicated or even painful day. If that's your heart this morning, if that's where you are, we see you. And most importantly, God sees you. As we begin our time of worship this morning, we give thanks to God for the many good gifts that he has given us in this life, in our lives, and we fix our eyes on our perfect heavenly parent. Hear these words from the prophet Isaiah as he calls attention to the mothering characteristics of God. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 15 and 16. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Let's stand and sing praise and thanks to the giver of every good and perfect gift. Worship is home. 
Let's join our hearts in prayer. We do bless you, O God, for your goodness to us, for your creative power in bringing us into this world, for your nurturing presence in our lives, 
for your invisible graces we often fail to recognize. On this day, we also bless you for our mothers and for all who exhibit tender care. We remember mothers who have passed on. We acknowledge mothers who don't quite measure up. We grieve with those who long to be mothers. And we give thanks for mothers who showed us your kind love. In your mercy, O oh God, forgive us, all of us, when we fail to exhibit your tender care to this world, when we forget to love, when we ignore the needs of others, and maybe most commonly, when we fail to receive your grace and pass it on to others. Even so, thank you, O oh God, that as a mother comforts a child, so you comfort us. Help us to rest in the comfort graciousness of your love for us. All this we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My friends, on this day, we have the great joy of celebrating baptisms. It's a fellowship tradition to uh, take some time on this day when we recognize the love of a mother to also recognize the unmatchable love of our God uh, in the sacrament of baptism. Jesus, uh, in his final words to his disciples in Matthew's gospel said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Baptism in nearly every Christian church is considered a sacrament, a holy mystery, you might say, an embodiment of grace, a, a, a visible word, a sacred coming together of something common like water and something invisible and unbreakable like unbreakable belonging. Water cleanses, water purifies, water refreshes, water sustains. Jesus Christ is the living water. We have some people that will be baptized this morning, and Jane, our elder, is going to introduce them to you. And as she does, I'd encourage, if your name is called, to, to join us up front. Good morning, fellowship family. Good morning. On behalf of the Board of Elders of Fellowship Church, and with great joy, I present to you Jacob and Kristen Woodwike, who are bringing their daughters, Ashley Ann and Madison June, for baptism. I present to you Jesse Pentecost for baptism. Come on forward, Pentecost. <laughs> I present to you Matthew and Jody Barron, who are bringing their daughter Samantha Marie for baptism. As they make their way to their places here on stage, this is a glad day, and we begin by asking some questions that are both for the parents of the young ones and also for Jesse, in this case, as an adult. The questions are the same, and we ask these of you together. You can respond in unison, and you know these questions, but there's also some help on the back screen if you need uh, your, your prompt. Here's your question. Do you acknowledge today the love of God, a love that has gone before us, continually surrounds us, and cannot be taken from us? Do you renounce sin and the power of evil in your life and in this world? I 
Who is your Lord and Savior? I'll try that again. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> okay. Last one will be robust. Do you promise in your hearts and in your homes to celebrate the truth of God's word, to seek salvation through Jesus Christ, and to pray for your families and to teach them to pray? Do you promise to lift high the way of Jesus and in your words and deeds through worship and in the nurturing of the church? I do, and I ask God to help me. Very good. Um, awesome. Just as in the first service, also in the second service, uh, this is a moment of um, God's community making promises to God and to one another. And so we invite you as a congregation to stand with us um, and make promises to God and also to the people who are being presented for baptism today, uh, following in the words that are on the screen. As a covenant, covenant community, community called Fellowship Church, Church. We promise to love, encourage, and support these families by teaching the gospel of God's love, by being an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service. Amen. You may be seated. So first, um, we are baptizing Ashley Ann and Madison June. So I'm assuming that's Ashley. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Ashley, how's it going? How's it going? They loved that smile in the first service too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Ashley, and let me tell you the most amazing truth about you. Um, our God loves you so much, and the Savior of the world knows your name. Ashley, and for you, for you, Christ came into the world. Yeah, and for you, Christ lived, for you, Christ died, and for you, Christ rose again, and for you, Christ conquered death. And though you are too young to know anything of it, our God loves you so incredibly much. So Ashley Ann, come a little closer. <laughs> Ashley Ann, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Which is so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, Madison June, you're not going to be left out either. <laughs> Madison, how's it going? How's it going? Yeah, that's water. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Madison June, um, the same truth is spoken over you by our God. And we get to echo that truth over you today, too that our God loves you so incredibly much. And the Savior of the world also knows your name. For you, Madison June, Christ came into the world. For you, Christ lived. Yeah, you did. For you, Christ died. For you, Christ rose again. For you, Christ conquered death. And so Madison June, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Thanks oh. be to God. We'll rotate them down and move the Pentecost family over. And we're going to baptize Jesse Pentecost here, who is an adult. And this is, of course, his first baptism. And we celebrate 
that this is something really, really cool for him. And Jesse has taken this very seriously, taken a long time to consider whether this is something he actually wants to do. In fact, when we asked him to select a verse that would be his baptism verse for today, he said, give me some more time. I don't necessarily know the scriptures that well. So we took some time to dig through them. And when he dug through them, he found a verse that he wants to share with you today because he can. So will you share your verse, Jesse? Those of steadfast mind you keep in peace, in peace because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord God you have an everlasting rock. This is great. Jesse, I don't know if you know this, but in Hebrew, your name means the Lord exists, which I think is a really cool testimony of exactly what you are doing in this moment. And the truths of baptism are true for you too, that before you ever knew who God was, God knew who you were. And he sent his son into this world, Jesus, who lived and died and rose from the dead. And he did this for you, conquering your sin and inviting you into everlasting life. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to baptize you, my friend. I baptize you, Jesse, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the family. Samantha Marie, but not anymore, or for not for long. Samantha Marie, your parents chose a verse for you, and it comes from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Do not be afraid, or I, have com- I command you this, be strong and courageous. Do not be dismayed or fearful, for the Lord is God is with you wherever you go. Samantha Marie, know this, you are God's beloved And Jesus knows you by name. It was for you that Christ came into this world. It was for you that he lived and died. It was for you that he rose again. All this, though you know nothing of it yet, Samantha Marie, we love because Christ first loved us. Therefore, I'm sorry, beautiful little sleepy baby. Can you see this? Come on. (laughs) She's so sleepy. Hi. Are you ready to get wet? Samantha Marie, I baptize you in the name of the Father. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of warm. Samantha Marie, I baptize you in the name of the Son. And I baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to the family, Samantha Marie. We're glad to have you. Friends, this is a glad day. Let me make a declaration. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only king and head of the church, I declare that Ashley and Madison and Jesse and Samantha are now received into the visible membership of the Holy Catholic Church. They are God's own forever. And our newest baptized members, (laughs) look at that look. (laughs) Let's join in blessing God together for these, our newest members. You guys can return to your seats. Friends, God first loved us before we knew or understood, and he welcomed us into his family.
We're going to sing together a song that is new to us at Fellowship, and it's based on the truth included in the Heidelberg Catechism that our only comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not even a hair can fall from our heads without his knowledge and compassionate oversight. As we learn in this sing the song together, I encourage you to remember your own baptism or perhaps ponder the truth that before you were even given your name, you were known and called beloved by the God of the universe. Let's sing together. I am not my 
Good morning, fellowship. My name is Tiara. I am one of the pastors here if I've not yet met you. And welcome. It is such a gift to be able to gather together with you um, in person, online. Um, and a special welcome to um, our college students who are joining us. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, baptism families who are joining us this morning as well. Um, thank you for, for joining us and worshiping with us. Um, your presence is a gift. Um, here at Fellowship, our mission is to love God and love others as an accepting community that is centered in Christ um, and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. And we get to do this in so many ways throughout the year, uh, not only within this congregation, um, but also beyond this congregation um, in partnership with our local and global mission partners as well. Um, thank you so very much for being with us, for worshiping with us, but also for your generosity um, throughout the year, because through your generosity, and this is something to celebrate to you this morning, uh, we have been able to extend the love of this congregation to people, not only in our community here in West Michigan and also around the world. So thank you for partnering with us. Um, and if you would like to partner with us or continue partnering with us financially, there's a couple of ways that you can do that, um, either through the giving bowls that are in the back of the sanctuary um, or online, or you can also, apparently there's this thing called mail. You can put it in the mail too. Uh, so... <laughs> millennial. <laughs> um, if you are new with us, so this is your first Sunday with us, um, or maybe you've been here for a few weeks and you're ready to take the next step to get to know us a little bit better as a community, um, you can fill out something called a connection card, which looks a little bit like that. And you can take it over to the Welcome Center. And there's some great folks there who are super fun, super friendly. They would love to um, not only get to know you, meet you and greet you by name, but also help you to get to know Fellowship Church a little bit better too. Um, lastly, um, but not least, um, if you are a kid, not just at heart, but an actual kid um, from three years to eighth grade, you are dismissed to follow Miss Betsy um, in spirit because I don't see her here in the room. So <laughs> uh, three years through eighth grade. Uh, for those of us who are older than eighth grade, um, it is because of the life, the death, the resurrection um, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we have peace with God and also peace with one another. And so um, the peace of Christ be with you. And at this time, you can exchange the sign of peace with those around you as you're comfortable and able. Well, good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. Hey, I may not even have to preach today, right? Baptisms are gospel enough, but we will. And today's message is fitting, too. We are in an Eastertide series where we are exploring together the new life that is offered to us, and particularly through the various resurrection appearance stories of Jesus uh, that are recorded in the scriptures for us. If you've missed out, I'll give a brief overview for you of where we've been so far. In Matthew's gospel, we found that resurrection news is controversial and missional. And we embraced together the way of Jesus as going toward the place of trouble rather than away from it or against it. 
Jesus did it first, of course, by becoming uniquely God in the flesh for us and for our salvation. And we are like him when we give and receive our various bids of, for connection because the other person is worth it. In Mark's gospel, we found that resurrection news is eerie, and we embrace the way of Jesus as going Godward, especially when times are weird or confusing or not conducive to believing at all. Jesus did it first in the Garden of Gethsemane and in the high priestly prayer of John 17, and we are like him when in times of trouble, we don't get big and try to control all things, nor do we hunker down and try to hold all things together ourselves, but rather we turn to God in prayer, saying like Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. In Luke's gospel, we found that resurrection news is exciting, burning hearts kind of exciting, and we embrace the way of Jesus as getting curious about the with God life and what it means for us today. Jesus did it first by walking and talking with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. He opened the scriptures with them and he opened their hearts. And we are like him as we lean in and open up ourselves and especially as we lean in to conversation with others who are curious about Jesus and how he might be for us our Lord and our Savior, our teacher and our friend. Today in John's gospel, we'll soon find out that resurrection news is personal and we'll embrace the way of Jesus as going deep with others in a most heartfelt and personalized way. The news of Jesus' resurrection is not only cosmic, but it's also deeply personal. It's for me and it's for you and through us, it is shareable to others. Next week, we'll go on and recognize that resurrection news is consequential. And we'll notice that the way of Jesus is to get right and even to make right whatever is wrong. And again, Jesus did it first. We call it the atonement, literally at one mint, a relational thing. And then he went on to give us the ministry of reconciliation. But today we're celebrating that resurrection news is personal. And so I invite you with that in mind to hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love, comes to us from John chapter 20, starting at verse 19, where it says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the opposition, the powers that be, Jesus came and stood among them. You'll notice it's still Easter Sunday. The text is clear. It is Sunday. It'll say it for us three times over. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. They're trying to set a new pattern for us that Christians gather for worship on Sunday. Look, we're still doing it today. But they're on this one, the first Sunday, they're behind locked doors. And they are there because they are afraid it's deeply turbulent times. There has been political turmoil, religious unrest. Each one of these ones gathered in the room there, the disciples have had their lives turned upside down and they're wondering, now what? And Jesus shows up right in the midst of them, Christ the center, where he belongs in the midst of his people, always in the center. We gather around him, not someone else or something else. He is the center. And from there, the text goes on and he says, peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. 
And again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. These are strange words and strange deeds. The strange word is peace. Typically, in the scriptures, when there is a God appearance, an epiphany, the first word is what? Fear not. Be not afraid. But in this case, the word is peace. And Jesus is coming and offered, offering not world peace as in some kind of ceasefire internationally. He's not offering some kind of only inner peace where I'm okay inside, mindfulness style, and even though everything else is not okay out here, Jesus is offering peace and a peacemaking kind of way. He's bringing peace to a troubled world, peace between conflicting groups. That's the strange word. But he also has strange deeds. He shows them his hands and his side, and then he sends them out on mission. The wounds even seem to be a part of the mission. He's a wounded healer, and he's sending out wounded healers. He says, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. It's John's version of the Great Commission. Nate said the Matthew version of it for baptism here. This is John's version of it. And it's his way of saying that when Jesus sends us out, we don't go out any old way we want to or whatever way we think might work. We go out in the way that he sent, the way that he went. In this series, we're calling it the five G's. Story continues. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This is where we get the famous nickname of the guy, Doubting Thomas. We learned uh, from our friends in the Netherlands, from Christian and Cecilia, that over there they, they call him even worse. He's unbelieving Thomas is the nickname in the Netherlands. Thomas in this text says his words quite strongly. He's basically saying, I will certainly not believe. The Greek is that kind of strong. He's revealing himself as a bit of an empirical scientist. He wants to see it. He wants to touch it. He wants to experience it or he won't believe it. Wonderfully, Jesus meets him exactly where he is. The story continues. Verse 26. A week later, Sunday again, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked again, Jesus came and stood among them in the center again. And he said, peace be with you, third time. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. This is deja vu, right? It's basically a complete repeat scene. Now just for Thomas, who missed out the first time, Jesus greatly accommodates Thomas in his doubt in this instance. And the story ends, verse 28, where it says, Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, which is a word of hope for even us here today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's theme, especially fitting on a day of baptisms, today's theme is that resurrection news is personal. 
We've seen it already by zooming in specifically on the story of Thomas, but now I want to zoom out with you a little bit so that you can see that there's a general theme in all of these stories of John at the end of his gospel. So I invite you to grab a Bible, and I mean it, grab one of those pew Bibles nearby you and open it up to John chapter 20 and 21. You're going to find there no less than five specific resurrection appearance stories. And keep your Bibles open because we'll go through them bit by bit. I'll introduce you to the characters. The first one is Mary Magdalene. I have a depiction of her up here on the screen. What I love about Mary Magdalene is that she seems to emerge from the shadowy places of the world and she moves into a place of humble prominence even as the world is constantly telling her, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. She must have occasionally thought it. But by God's good graces, she actually does the opposite. She blossoms. According to the scriptures, we have a few details that we know for sure. She was healed of seven demons. She was also among the women who helped bankroll Jesus. Great detail in Luke chapter 8. In all four gospels, she's the one who discovers the empty tomb, and so she becomes the apostle to the apostle, which is a wonderful little detail. And yes, it will take the rest of the world millennia to catch on and realize that women do have an important voice and an important place in this world. Mary Magdalene was all over it 2,000 years ago already. She may also have been, possibly, the unnamed sinful woman in the story of Luke chapter 7, the one that Jesus sees and defends and celebrates and even says that she's one who really knows how to love. She could also be the one who had that alabaster jar of oil that was used to anoint Jesus for his burial. Today, you might be like Mary Magdalene. If you have a past that you wish you could hide or a race. Today, you might be like Mary Magdalene if you can't help but love Jesus because of what he's done for you. In John's gospel, this is great. Mary Magdalene finally recognizes the risen Christ when, when he calls out her name. Why? Because it's personal, deeply personal for her. One of the common pitfalls of viewing faith as personal that we're talking about today, and Mary Magdalene helps to counteract is the false idea that faith is private. Yes, faith is personal. No, it is not private. Personal does not equal private. Mary Magdalene had a vivid personal faith. Thanks be to God that she didn't keep it private. There's a famous song, perhaps you've heard it, Paul Simon. The song is, I am a rock, I am an island. The lyrics are even stronger. He says, I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock, I am an island. Great song, but it's wrong. He was lost and depressed when he wrote it. We belong as we've sung already today. In fact, the first thing in the scriptures that's called not good is a phrase that appears even before sin enters the story. The first thing that's not good is humans alone. So God makes a partner for life. Faith is personal. It is not private. 
Next in the stories, hopefully you still have your Bibles open, we encounter the 10 disciples. They're gathered in an upper room. What I love about these 10 disciples is that they're basically nobodies. I mean, Jesus could have appeared to the great somebodies of his day, to Pontius Pilate, political power, or to Caiaphas, the high priest, religious power, but he didn't. He appeared to these 10 It's as if the Apostle Paul was right when he acknowledged that these disciples, not many of us were wise or powerful or noble, but God chose to work with these ones instead. When Jesus appears to bring peace, to reveal truth, and to send the disciples out on mission saying, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you, he appears to these ones, a tax collector, a fisherman, a zealot, and so forth. But remember, this happens on what day? Sunday. The text is clear. Christians gather for worship on Sunday, but the number is 10 because someone's missing. Who's missing? Thomas. Where's Tommy? Did he have to bring the kids to soccer practice? Was he worshiping at Bedside Baptist that day? I'm not picking on the fact that he's missing church that day. I do want to draw out the fact that there are some significantly different anxiety responses happening in this very moment. Remember, it's Holy Week, or Holy Week just happened. Turbulent times, maybe times are always turbulent. When you're highly anxious, what do you do? Do you gather with the community that knows you best, or do you go off alone and try to go at it alone? In this scene, all of the disciples are, are afraid. They're bewildered. Ten of them gather. Thomas doesn't. He misses out in this instance. We'll talk about him in a second. But today, today I want to simply acknowledge that today you might be like these ten if, if you're hurting, but you keep showing up even when you're not sure why. Today you might be like these ten if you also are hiding behind locked doors, but you're here, and Jesus honors that. One of the false narratives that this story helps to counteract for us is the false idea that you find your true self apart from the Christian community. You've probably heard the old sports adage that says that there's no I in team, right? Which is helpful in terms of keeping the hot shots cool a little bit. But it makes it sound like you find yourself, like like you're not yourself if you're in a community. And that's not true. On teams, each player still matters individually. And in community, we are not merely a mob of nameless, faceless beings. The truth is that in Christian community, identity is, it isn't lost, it's found. You don't leave the community in order to find yourself. You find yourself in the Christian community. That's different. And that brings us to Thomas, because Thomas does actually show up the next week. Thomas comes, and it might be fitting for you to have some sympathy for Thomas. He gains his nickname when he's at his worst. Isn't that the way it always goes? You gain your, in, your nickname when you're at your worst. Thomas speaks three times in the scriptures, and only one of them is an instance of doubt or of unbelieving. And even then, at that moment, at least it's honest, right? 
You can see his 15 minutes of fame up there uh, listed on the screen. What I want to say today is that, yes, Thomas stumbles. He skips church. He doubts. He runs his mouth. He tries to go it alone. But he does finally believe. So why don't we call him believing, Thomas? After doubting, Thomas actually ends up making the most personal, the least generic confession of faith in all of the Gospels. He says, my Lord and my God. That's not a shoulder shrug. That's not a mindless mumbling of someone else's creed. It's gritty, it's hard won, it's personal, and it's the pinnacle of faith in John's Gospel. It's been said, and I like this, been said that there's more faith in the one who honestly doubts than there is in the one who glibly repeats things that they've never thought out and may not actually believe at all. Today, you might be like Thomas if you're sometimes a loner or a doubter, if you don't have the gift of faith, if you can't just believe, then join Thomas and go deep. Thomas becomes the greatest believer because he was first a doubter. The next character we encounter in these stories is Peter. Peter is the exciting one. Everybody loves Peter, right? In fact, if he had a corporate sponsor, it'd be Nike, right? Just do it because that's what he does. He just does it. He's a doer. According to the scriptures, there's too much to recount. Peter is the one disciple who walks on water while the others stay in the boat. Jesus calls him Rocky. It's a great nickname. He also turns out to be flaky. He denies Jesus three times over, even though he said he wouldn't. And now in this instance, notice Jesus appears to him personally and reinstates him. Three times over, he says, feed my sheep. And it turns the corner for Peter and he goes on to be the world's first pope. What I love about this scene, however, is that Peter had just said, I'm going fishing. After adventuring with Jesus for three years, he decides, "Mm, I'm just going to go back to fishing. Maybe he was returning to an old profession. Maybe it was a comforting habit, a kind of numbing practice. We don't know for sure, but Jesus shows up anyways and intervenes to reinstate him. One of the common pitfalls of viewing faith as personal that Peter helps to correct for us is the false idea of faith as a one-and-done decision. To quote Katy Perry, Peter's faith is hot and it's cold. It's up and it's down. He's in and then he's out and then he's back in again. We might all prefer to believe that faith is the result of one grand decision that forever changes everything like buying cosmic fire insurance. Even if that's true, that's not how it plays out in daily life, is it? Just ask Peter. His life is a roller coaster. It's more like love, a daily thing. It has ups, it has downs, and Jesus walks with us through it all. The last one I want you to notice in this series is the beloved disciple. He's the last of the resurrection appearance stories that we have here. And according to the scriptures, the beloved disciple is considerably more tender than rocky old Peter. His story is more cuddly. The details we know about him is that he reclined closely with Jesus at the table. He's asked to care for Jesus' mother. 
he goes on to write the most unique of all of the Gospels. He might even be one of the only disciples who doesn't die by martyrdom. He dies of ripe old age. What's strange about this scene, however, is that Peter almost seems to be asking Jesus to dismiss the beloved disciple. You can read it in the text there. He's too different. He doesn't belong, it seems. But Jesus unequivocally defends his place among the other disciples. Today, you might be like the beloved disciple if you're emotionally complex or theologically astute or if your gifts to the Christian community are maybe a little different than the more typically prized ones. You matter too, says Jesus. And one of the common pitfalls that the beloved disciple helps correct for us the false idea that faith can be so uneventful that it's unshareable. The beloved disciple's story is certainly less exciting than Peter's. Peter has a really exciting story The beloved disciple doesn't have a sexy conversion story. Maybe that is a bit like you. And it's okay if you don't have the world's most riveting faith story. Perhaps that's even evidence of the fact that your life has been saturated by grace from the very start, like we would hope for the infants that we baptize the young ones today. But yellow flags should be waving if you have nothing to say this beloved disciple actually does go on and write a book, one of the greatest gospels, and he does so from his uneventful faith. That's five different stories at the end of the gospel of John, each of them deeply personal because resurrection news is personal. But before I let you go today, I do want to try to connect the dots from that to our target, our goal today, the fourth of the five G's that we're walking through, and that is to go deep with others, because that's what Jesus has clearly done with us. The context, of course, is conflict, which we are plenty familiar with. So I invite you to picture someone, a family member, a colleague, a neighbor, a political stranger, whatever. The question is, how might we go deep in our instances of interpersonal conflict. I want to offer four different ideas that are drawn from my favorite rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, and from Harvard's negotiation project called Getting to Yes. Four things. The first one is to separate people from problems. Separate people from problems. Jesus did this most clearly and most personally with Mary Magdalene. Did you notice that? Even in addressing her problems, Jesus didn't slay her as a person. He cast out her demons and he restored her dignity as a person. In a world where most thought that women don't count, really, that was the context then, Jesus recurringly treats Mary Magdalene as if she matters, ultimately, because she does. In your conflict, if you think the person is the problem, you've united the two and they cannot be separated, then you'll probably never go deep. But if you see a person on the other side of the problem, then maybe the two of you can work together on the problem. That's different. Think of it this way. If God were to look at us and see not persons, but only problems, sinners who sin, then in dealing with us, he might not have saved us, simply annihilated us. Thankfully, even baptism, which we've celebrated today, does that very thing, separating persons from problems. 
washing us clean of our sin and offering us a new start. Second thing, focus on interests, not positions. Jesus did this most clearly and most personally with Thomas. If Jesus and Thomas, remember the story, if Jesus and Thomas stuck only with their position statements, you'll notice that they'd be stuck in a gridlock. Jesus says, believe. Thomas says, I certainly will not. Thankfully, Jesus is more focused on Thomas' interests than he is on Thomas' statement. Thomas wants to see the wounds, and so Jesus shows them. And it makes all the difference in the world. Going deep in your particular conflict might also require pushing past the presenting words and digging much deeper into the issues of the heart. Third thing, invent options for mutual gain. Invent options for mutual gain. Jesus seems to do this most clearly and most personally with Peter. I mean, in this instance, we must begin to move past the simple binary categories of winners and losers. Peter is both a winner and a loser. He's rocky and he's flaky. But if resurrection news is personal, which we're acknowledging today, then the new goal is some kind of win-win, a mutual benefit. Jesus is intending to share the win. He defeated death and now he intends to share it with others. So in your situation, I wonder, can you find a win-win something different than a win-lose, you'll probably have to go deep and get creative in your situation. But I think it's worth it. Last but not least, insist on objective criteria. Insist on objective criteria. Jesus does this most clearly with the beloved disciple, the different one. As we just said, almost offensively, Peter in the stories that are recorded basically says to Jesus, hey, hey, what about this guy? Does he still get to follow or should we just leave him behind? And Jesus turns back to Peter and says, calm down. I'm the caller. You're the follower. You stick to following, okay? That's objective criteria, friends. Jesus is the caller. We are the followers, He's the shepherd. We are the sheep. I don't know what that means for your scenario today of conflict, but it does seem to me important to acknowledge that we'll probably never settle our disputes with one another if we don't have an agreed upon truth source. Without that, everything's subjective, isn't it? But for Christians, there is a defining center. His name is Jesus. And the objective criteria that he has given to us, his followers, is a life mission of repairing ruptures. He did it first. And then he says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. The question that remains is, will you go and be like him? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, resurrection news is personal, so the invitation is for us to follow Jesus in our real day-to-day -day lives.
That's what our song of response is about. Would you stand and let's sing together? resurrection news is personal and the risen Christ meets us right where we are offering peace in the present and hope for the future so as you go from this place may the grace of the Lord Jesus 
and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.